0: Hello friends, and welcome to So Poetry. Uh, this is season four, episode nine, uh, and I am here with poet uh, Maya Kiley. Um, so would you like to introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you're, what you're up to?
1: Sure. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, my name is Maya, and I just got my first book of public- poetry published called Wings, Um, and yeah, I've been writing poetry since I was in middle school and, um, I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist and, a nature based coach. And I also love, uh, Brazilian Zouk dancing, which, um, is my other art that I love doing. So that's a little bit about me. I
0: have never heard of that style of dance before.
1: Yeah, most people haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Even people who dance haven't. It come, It's a modern form of lambada, which is a traditional dance in Brazil. Um, same step as salsa, but, but slower.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. How did you, how did you get into doing that?
1: Um, through, I started salsa dancing and then there are these big, uh, congresses or festivals and at them, um, they have different rooms that have different forms of Latin dance. And so I saw this small room that had people dancing Zouk and I was like, what is this? And I became fascinated, um, so that led me to to learning it here in LA.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's that's really cool. Yeah. We have. Um, I'm only v- sort of peripherally involved in this, but um, we have uh, Lindy Hop is really really big in Baltimore, um, and I don't I don't know if they still have them, but I feel like a couple of years ago there were these like huge like citywide or sort of like regional Lindy Hop like competitions and fests and stuff that that were held in Baltimore. Um, So I imagine that it is, that is something similar to like the big uh, salsa um, fests. Wow. That's, hmm.
1: Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Lindy hop is East coast swing and swing dancing is really big. A lot of people do it. So that's awesome.
0: Hmm. The um, I take uh, aerial circus arts classes in a converted church that I think was originally bought for uh, Lindy Hop stuff.
1: Oh, cool! That's awesome. Hmm.
0: So, you said that you started writing poetry in middle school, correct?
1: Yeah, I was just thinking today that I I would say my interest in poetry was first sparked in uh, probably right the start of middle school in an English class. And I remember what interested me was that they had us write write poems. And then they showed us the editing process of how to cut unnecessary words. Wow. And, I yeah, I just remember, like, loving just taking out all these words that I didn't need. I like I was amazed by how many words could be cut out and it's and then it just got closer mm-hmm. to the essence of what I wanted to say. So I would say that's what first sparked my interest was that class.
0: Wow. That's like I feel like I could have used a class like that um because I really didn't I don't feel like I really understood uh, the revision process or the editing process until I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. Uh, because when I was most, most through high school and undergrad, um, when I wrote a poem, um, aside from like some maybe minor cosmetic changes from going from, uh, it being handwritten into like being typed up on my computer, um, I didn't really edit anything at all mm-hmm. um, and if it was a if it was a a poem or something that I had written that didn't seem like it was going anywhere or was not getting a lot of attention after the fact that I sort of just shelved it as like well this is a failed poem and <laughs> you know there's not really much I can do with that because um, for a really really long time I um, I couldn't I I was seeing editing and revision as a very like clinical sort of cold and objective process um, Mm -hmm. that was much more, uh, I guess, prescriptive, like looking at a piece and like, what's wrong with this and how can I fix it? And I was like, I don't know how, I I can't square this with the sort of, um, I don't know, like the creative intent that was the genesis of the poem, like the, the kind of creative starting point. Um, but I have since moved into a space of like, oh no, it's actually can be a very intimate, very quiet process, and all you're really doing is just kind of m- moving obstacles out of the poem's way f- for it to be the thing that it wants to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. I hear what you mean. I I think there's different ways of looking at editing, but I hear what you mean. There's there's one there's that very yeah, that creative process of writing the poem and then going back and cutting out things is a different, like, part of the brain. <laughs> and so I can understand. I, I, I get that, too. Yeah.
0: So how do you... I mean, I'm assuming that because you've been writing poetry since, since middle school, it has, uh, it has changed, um, or maybe not changed, but developed um, so, like, have have you been able, or can you see in your own, I guess, like, writing history, like, moments of sort of significant, like, oh, this is, I'm in, like, a new era of, of my writing now?
1: Mm, mm. I actually feel very much like it's that, still that young part of me. Interesting. That, yeah, that just wants to express myself and convey what is convey what is hard to express through words, even though it is with words, <laughs> like the part that's hard to just tell people directly, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but that wants to do it in a more creative way to help people capture the feeling or atmosphere or impact of something. Um, but I guess what's changed is that over the years I've read a lot more poetry. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely been, influenced or gotten ideas. Um and also I would say what definitely felt new to me with writing Wings was just having one like theme and image that I just kept developing. Like usually it would be like a poem on something different each time. And this time it was like I was just flooded by a bunch of poems about one thing. Mm-hmm. And that was different for me to like spend that much time deepening and going through the layers of one theme. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. And I feel like, um, so I, I am a big, big champion of chapbooks, um, specifically poetry chapbooks. I I feel like most of the, um, most of the, the poetry collections that I've really, really been excited about and have felt some level of, uh, deep attachment to have been, um, Chat books. And I, I feel like what you're describing, like taking that sort of central image and sitting with it and meditating on it and sort of dwelling in this space and using the, the book itself to sort of explore this thing instead of a, like a poem here and a poem there um, feels much closer to my experience of how chapbooks are generated than uh, full length collections. So it's it's interesting to me that like as a you know like your a first book first publication full length collection that you that you uh sort of approached it as um like the manuscript itself is the sort of smallest unit that these poems can be divided into you know mm-hmm.
1: Yeah are the chapbooks usually much much longer
0: no, chapbooks are are usually, um, in my experience, the they average is about like half to maybe two thirds the length of a full, like a short full-length collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. chap, like most of the ones that I've encountered, usually are around like thirty, maybe forty, um, like word document pages. It, I mean, if you're counting, like, a poem a page, then it usually winds up being, like, 30... Somewhere in, like, 20 to 30 poems is kind of average length. Um, mm-hmm. But I've seen some that are... I mean, I with my press, I published a chapbook that was a single... I mean, it was a longer poem, um, but it was a single poem. And I've seen some chaps that are... They get up into, like, 40 to 50 poem range. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... I think that because chapbooks are usually shorter, um, it's a little easier to kind of sustain the, I don't know, like whatever creative state that you need to be in to sort of knock out poems on a a particular subject or a theme or, you know, an image or whatever. Um, Yeah. But but still being able to produce something that is a sort of a cohesive unit and like a thing that could be sent off to be, you know, published as a as a group or as a as a collection instead of just you know, like single poems being sent out for for publication. Um, yeah. Or a bunch of. I mean, I feel like this might be a little unfair to full length collections, but in my experience, it's like a, a lot more of the full length collections that I've read have felt um, a little more like mosaic or sort of hodgepodge in their yeah. um, in mm-hmm. their assemblage, and that you can. Because of the, the that all of these poems are put together, there's a um, like themes or things that develop out of their association and conversation with each other, but that feels like more a thing that is discovered in the arrangement versus having sort of an, an idea of how all these things are going to fit together before going into a, a project.
1: Yeah. 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 Very cool.
0: So, when I guess, like, how how long did the the um, the writing for wings take you? Like, was this a project that you were working on for years and years and years, or, or was it like a, you know, in a flurry of a couple of months, you had you had generated everything?
1: Yeah, um, it had, It's been a process of a couple years, three or four years, but the actual initial. Writing process was like an absolute flurry. <laughs> I had not experienced that before. It just—it felt like it just came through
0: mm-hmm.
1: so suddenly, and it would come through at all times of day. Like I—I I, I gave up just sitting down <laughs> at one time in the day and and writing because it—it it felt more like it was coming through, and I would just receive it and. Mm-hmm. This happened a lot in the middle of the night. I had it was it was definitely a time where I, I had strange sleeping patterns. Um, but it would also come through when I was at work and stuff. Um, so, but then the process of like taking all of that material and editing it and and putting it into like a manuscript that took a long time, and then. And then I just re-edited it before, you know, it got published. So I was working on that this summer. And it, I had given it a break so that I could look at it with fresh eyes. But, the yeah, the actual initial uh, sort of raw material was a flurry. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: So did you, did you have a, um, I guess, like a set writing practice leading up to the flurry of the genesis of wings
1: you know not really like i'd i'd written over the years and i um i used to write for a local newspaper when i lived in san los obispo and i had my own column on um the on the bicycle community (laughs) um so i i used to yeah, and and I wrote for some magazines too. A lot on like bicycling and adventures. Um but I didn't have like I didn't have a writing practice at that point. I I was just reading some poetry, got really inspired that year and then it came through at the flurry. Since then, I read The Artist's Way and and have now a regular practice. So I um I do a, a few morning pages every day, and then I also do a writer, an artist date, um, a sort of writer's date once a week, and I and I just write. So now I do, but <laughs> but before I didn't.
0: So when you when you do your morning pages, are you actively writing poetry, or are you just sort of writing, um, I guess like content or material that then could be like edited or, or turned into poems or maybe I guess a little column A, a little column B.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The morning pages is, is just anything. Sometimes it is highly creative thoughts, um, or, uh, images from my dreams. Cause I, I often remember my dreams. Mm. Um, and I do use a lot of my dream imagery for my poems. So, that, but it also can just be very mundane things that are on my mind, <laughs> just to sort of clear them away, um, and have a space where I'm listening within myself, which I think is where, where poetry starts, is mm. being able to listen within. Yeah.
0: Mm. So it's it's not so ne- it's not necessarily so much that you are you are setting time aside to write. Creatively, it's more that you're just setting time aside to write, just to kind of keep those muscles, um, like worked out and limber, you know, like, and just to be in the practice of, I guess, like you said, like getting yourself into the practice and the habit of listening to yourself or, or sort of like maintaining that state of internal listening so that in the event something pops up, you're not going to miss it.
1: Mm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then on Fridays, when I have my artist date, that is more focused time to work on, on a on a writing project. And sort of like the morning pages, I, I really like I have to write, I can't, you know, if something I don't like comes out, that's fine. But it it is that practice of just like, I have to write something. (laughs) I have to keep the, the pen moving.
0: Hmm. When I was in, I feel like in my first semester of of grad school, we had, um, we had, so every incoming uh, first year student had to take a class called Creativity, which was subtitled Ways of Seeing, um, which honestly felt kind of like kindergarten for adults. Um, because of that it was a very very polarizing class like some some people were in it and they were with it and they're like fuck yeah let's 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 do this and other people were very much like you know i'm paying like six thousand dollars to to take this these courses this semester and you you're having me doodle in a notebook this is asinine um but one of the one of the projects that we did i i feel like we probably did it in class um was like writing like nonstop writing for I think we did like five minutes, ten minutes, and then fifteen minutes um, sort of like back to back to back um, and that was really really difficult for me um, to to stay physically writing nonstop for you know any really any length of time um, which so like the the class in and of itself was just essentially taking all of these different ways to process information and to express yourself and to explore things and throw them at like, take this entire bucket of things and just chuck them at the students and, you know, just see what sticks and what things you the student or what, you know, personally you find beneficial and useful for you. Um, and there are some people in, in my class that the, that sort of, of consistent writing, you know, it's like you set the timer for 20 minutes, and you're just your pins on the page, and you just go for 20 minutes. And for me, like I, I don't, I can't do it. It's mm-hmm. it, it's really, um, it's very much a struggle for me to 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 make myself write in sort of that uh, that context and that circumstance. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Which is also like yeah. I, I tend to not, um, I don't really keep like a writing practice. Because uh, I've also found that when I when I make myself write a thing when I'm not feeling particularly inspired or moved to write, um, like 97% of the time it has been just crap. I'm like I don't I don't want to I don't want to go through this, you know, yeah. like day <laughs> day after day after day. If it's a if it's a like a consist consistent you know like every day at three o'clock I spend 30 minutes generating something, but um, yeah. It's always really interesting to me because I, I feel like prose with prose writers it's easier to maintain a sort of like steady writing practice and writing schedule and i I feel like with poets it's kind of all over the place so mm-hmm. it's really it's really interesting to hear that like you have a very like a very committed very regular um, you know like writing time for yourself mm-hmm.
1: yeah I mean I understand what you're saying and I understand when it feels like pressured or like forced but i guess for me i will put writing i won't prioritize writing because it still feels like sometimes it feels like my art is like um like like doing my art is like indulging in
0: something (laughs) Mm, okay
1: okay For me, it's like a way of being like, no, this is important, and I'm going to give myself, I'm going to carve out the space, like a date, you know, because it's important to me, and then then I'll see what comes, and I'll invite it in. It's also a way, because I've struggled with insomnia for years, also because I Latin dance late at night, so my (laughs) sleep has been horrible, but if so, then... I'll write at night. So this is a way of also saying I invite I invite in my writing to come at normal times of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, you know, always coming at night. So that's how that's how I sort of frame it. But mm. but I understand also what you're saying completely.
0: <laughs> Have you um Have you written any other, I mean, aside from the, like the column and the, the articles that you've written, have you written any other, uh, I guess, like creative genre aside from poetry?
1: Well, um, not, not really, but I am working on something right now. Oh. Yeah. Starting this summer, I started working on a book of Essays, because I also like like poetic prose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I am working on that. Um, yeah, I love I love the format of books that are essay that are have essays. Like uh, I was, I love like Joan Didion's essays, mm-hmm. and Maya Angelou has a book of essays. Called letters to her daughter, and they're they're short, but they're so uh, rich, and they're all linked together. So I love that format. So that is what I'm working on right now. So it is more of a creative, um, but it but it's still like essay like. So how uh, yeah.
0: how does the I guess the process and the experience of writing um, like lyric essays. Uh, compared to your practice of writing poetry. It's
1: mm, a great question. Um, I'd say with the poetry, it's much more of that listening um, and like listening and like catching words and and it's I think the poetry is more of an unconscious process like, Allow like not trying to understand at all why a word or image came, but just sort of allowing it in and and playing with sound and color and um I think with the with the prose it's I'm more in my like logic brain <laughs> of like and then what comes next okay and. Yeah, and I'm and I'm allowing a lot more material and less thinking about the word itself, and more about what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, yes, because I, I um, one of my closest friends in Baltimore is a uh, creative nonfiction writer and poet, um, and we've had long, long discussions about kind of where creative nonfiction fits into the spectrum between. you know poetry and prose writing um and we're uh both of the opinion that like lyric essays and um you know uh memoir writing sometimes to an extent can be situated a little closer to poetry um because despite the fact that you are telling a story um with, you know, like an essay or, or with a memoir, um, the point of the piece is not necessarily the story itself as it would be in like prose or fiction writing. Um, it's still kind of centered into that that emotional transfer that uh, at least the poetry that I, I tend to gravitate towards is that's the sort of uh, preoccupation with. Um, so in doing so, you there's a lot of room to kind of play around with structure a little bit more in essays or to do things that that don't necessarily feel like they are um, not linear, but more sort of analytic, critical <laughs> brain of, you know, like this happened and then this happened and then I have to be, you know, it's like I'm telling a story and it has to make sense to someone, but you know it's like there are things that you could do if if the point of of telling the story is more to get the sort of emotional or the theme of this thing and not necessarily like the story itself that's just sort of the um like the delivery mechanism for these these other considerations you can kind of flex and mess with things a little bit or even or you know like throw in um heavily imaged or metaphorical language um because you know it's like it's it's being you're writing things sort of in support of this this other uh this other intention or this other outcome um but that's interesting that for you it feels more like you are you're tapping into the the critical brain and not necessarily the sort of like just the unquestioning just letting the the subconscious or the unconscious just kind of do you know it it's doing what it's doing and you're there to like as a scribe, to take it down, versus mm-hmm. with um, with essay writing, it's like it. I don't know. It feels maybe more actively collaborative, mm-hmm. maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love what you said about it being uh, like more structured, but uh, still having still having that that creative element that that feels accurate yeah like it's it's definitely more more structured and there is more of that analytical but it's still play playing playful and mm-hmm. creative and I, I even like sort of like breaking the rules of like a sentence complete. like it may not even be a a sentence may not even be like a grammatically correct sentence.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, are, there are things that there's, there's more wiggle room to play around with stuff because it's like all, all those considerations are being, you know, it's like tone and voice feel like they're so much more important when you're working on an essay um, because if it's, you know, it's like it's the eye and it's the presentation really of of the writer themselves and that, mm. that sort of. Uh, specific and particular crafting to get the that particular persona of you across, you know, in this piece or a using a piece to sort of re uh, in support of sort of a persona that you were, you know, generating over a uh, a long manuscript.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. If you so this is the question I, I enjoy uh, asking my my guests um if you had if you do have a uh poetry pantheon what poets for you are up at the top like what, who are your your big like three or five?
1: Hmm. Oh, and it's it, so hard to choose <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily have to be of all time just like mm. who, or maybe maybe a better question of like who what poets are you really enjoying or like digging on right now
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some, yeah, like of those, those timeless poets that I love and Mm -hmm. that I grew up reading because my family all reads a lot. So I was introduced to um, like Emily Dickinson Mm -hmm. and Robert Frost and, and Rumi. Um, I love mary oliver because i spent a lot of time in provincetown um yeah i grew up uh right outside boston so i'd go over to provincetown a lot and i love nature and so i knew that nature she's writing about um and then and i love i love david white right now um and then there's there's some poets that i've been inspired by in the last couple years. One I don't know if you've heard of Yana Robinson
0: No, I don't believe so.
1: She wrote uh, this book of poems and a poem called This is for the Women Who Don't Give a Fuck (laughs) Her poetry I sort of experience as like sloppy and wild and raw and like she's not trying to be this like like fit into the i don't know like all the the unspoken rules that make good poems and that really inspired me like she just gave herself permission to write her poetry and share it and and um so i i, I love her poems and um i was inspired by Andrea Gibson who's a slam poet mm-hmm. um, I love Rupi Kaur yeah so those have been have been my inspirations I was at the bookstore the other day and was checking out the book by R.H. Sin um, hmm. she felt like feeling nothing I was just curious because I know a lot of people are, are reading his poetry so that's yeah Those are, those are my influences and people who I've been inspired by.
0: Is it like for the, for the poets, the the sort of, I guess, timeless or eternal poets for you, like, do you, are there ones that you go back and read that, I don't know, I don't know, like, I'm not sure how to ask this question, um like is it is it a still when you go back and in, in re-experience their writing or go back and revisit them do you still feel the sort of um, like active um, I guess like active in, influence or, or um, active insistence in your life that they have or is it a do some of them have a sort of like it's they're in that position more out of nostalgia or more out of like it is a representation of a particular time. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I hear you're saying, yeah.
0: Cause I've, I've experienced this a lot with, um, I think more so with music than with poetry. Cause I didn't really start reading poetry for, um, the purposes of like getting better at poetry until I was well into undergrad. Um, but there are, a lot of, there are a number of bands that I really enjoyed when I was younger that um, when I listen to now, there's a certain fondness for them, but it, it, there, it's like there's a sort of emotional distance that I have. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm reacting fondly to this or I'm reacting to this in, a pati- in this particular way because it's, it feels so much of an encapsulation of this time in my life and that's the sort of touchstone that i have versus a something versus something that's like oh i still actively enjoy listening to this and would you know gladly put on their album or one of their songs now you know
1: yeah yeah for sure and um, i'd say with mary oliver i still feel like just like her poetry is so, i is so present for me and some of the other ones I listed, like um, like Emily Dickinson, it, it does feel older, especially because now we have like Instagram poetry, <laughs> and it just feels like and and the the poetry, like some of it now is like it doesn't it's like not it doesn't even seem that poetic to me. It's like a statement or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. It's, used to help us or something. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, yeah, that feels so different than the way people saw poetry or expressed themselves poetically before. So that does feel distant. Um, but Mary Oliver, yeah, still feels like I, I love reading her poetry and I love just letting it settle in me, you know, just carrying it through the day. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm. I am 100% with you there on Mary Oliver. She was. She was actually. It was. Um, her collection Redbird was the first poetry book that I picked up and read just kind of for the hell of it. Um, mm. So she was. I mean, because I was in when I was in undergrad, I took a lot of literature courses, um, and a lot of them were at least in part focused on poets, um, and you know like but I, I wasn't I was writing actively writing poetry but I wasn't really reading anything outside of the stuff for my classes um, and it was all you know like uh, old white you know like the romantic poets and the yeah. whatever period came before them and I was like I'm I guess I'm most closely associated writing wise with ro- the romantic po- poet or poets but it still kind of felt off and then I was in in a bookstore one day and I picked up Um, Redbird and started reading it and I was like oh my god (laughs) like this I've never I've never encountered poetry in like this in this way before Um, and then that like she she was the start Um,
1: oh that's awesome yeah she's just incredible
0: yeah Hmm. um there's another question. Well, I mean, there are other questions I was going to, well, I would like to ask you, but there's one that I had that I've been thinking of that I totally forgot what it was. Um, uh, oh, this is a co- sort of massive departure from what we were talking about. But um, I don't mean to put you on blast, but you so far have been the only guest that has reached out to me to be on the podcast. Um, every, mm. other, every other guest I've, I've had to track down. Yeah. Um, mm. So I feel like this puts puts me in a in a u- unique position to ask something that I've always kind of wanted to ask people, um, like how how did you come across the podcast? Because I don't I don't have at least right now I don't have a, a super ton of interaction with people that listen like on on SoundCloud on the the sort of user end of it. Um, you can see like cities and countries of where people listen to, and if they have a SoundCloud account, you can see people who are listening but like I tend to not know how people encounter my stuff out in the wild so I'm I'm, I was when I was thinking about uh the podcast today I was like I'm really curious about this um Mm
1: -hmm. yeah uh well I started looking at when I was writing my book I like intentionally didn't read a lot of poetry or look around to see what other people are doing. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't, have, I'm, I'm very easily like influenced. Yep. So I want to be really focused with myself. But after like just more recently, I, um, and with, with, you know, sharing, getting my book published and sharing it, like I've wanted to, to connect more with people, um, mm. both to share it and to see what's out there and support other people. Cause I know the process. <laughs> and so I was, um, just looking around, like just Googling poetry podcasts and looking at different ones. And so, um, yeah, yours just came up right away for, um, on Apple podcasts. So yeah, and then I, I I listened a little bit to I've been listening for a little bit, so yeah, that's how it happened for me. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. Hmm.
0: That's that's a really I I don't know if this is a thing that, that you struggle with. I don't I well, I don't know if this is like a universal artist thing that that there is struggle with or if it's a a particular thing with me, but the idea of like if you are an artist that has not necessarily broken into the quote unquote like professional world um in whatever it is that that actually means and you're 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 doing your art and you're putting your art out there but not necessarily knowing if it's um like if you're just yelling into the void you know like it's just mm-hmm. you just you put it out there and it's, it's like you know you're not gonna ever stop putting it out there because that's you know it's like you you need to generate and that's that's part of part of the art life um but you know not really knowing if it's connecting to anyone or not really knowing if it's if it's meeting if it's fulfilling out in the world the intentions that you had for for putting it out there um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i for most of the stuff that i do um I kind of you know it's like my poetry is usually like i don't really submit a whole lot places and um, my music is also kind of more insular um so the podcast is one of the few things that's actively being like broadcast out into the world um and i'm just i've always sort of wondered like is it is it hitting the way that i want to hit or is it having the impact that i hope that it that it, it has um so it's it's cool to see that at least in this instance um it is it has landed in the way that I've intended it to land which is gratifying it's a it's a it's a weird sort of like um humbling gratifying like okay cool yeah neat yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that's awesome and I totally hear you uh like we yeah I feel that this I understand that i yeah I just I feel the need to create art and sometimes I think even if it even if just it impacts a few people. You know, I've had a few people message me about how some of my poems have impacted them. And, like, that's enough for me. <laughs> you know, it's like... Because we also, like, never know who we're inspiring. Like, we may think that we want a certain amount of validation or feedback, but you never know who's, who's inspired or who's who you've planted a seed with. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh yes, totally. Yes. 100%. And it's, it's a, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm always really grateful for those interactions with, I actually, there was somebody that reached out to me on Instagram earlier today um, that messaged me. that was like, you know, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. It's been really helpful for me. It's, it's helped expand my understanding um, of writers and in poetry and just it's you know interesting to hear what people what and how people talk about stuff and it's like that this is a really like this is a really amazing moment to have it to yeah. like to have that direct feedback of like oh yes you 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 did a thing that mattered to someone in their life and you know like that's i feel like especially with with poetry that so much of it um Again, at least the poetry that I gravitate towards is the sort of finding those the the impact of moments that seem small or easily overlooked or um, easily missed or things that are just usually missed um, and sort of shining a light on those moments and, and showing that it's like these things can matter they can be impactful um, and it's it's nice to have that sort of that feedback of you know like the 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 gesture the artistic gesture that you made despite it ne- maybe being small in in you know grand scheme of things maybe but you know like it it hit someone it connected to someone it there was a light that flickered somewhere because of something that you did um
1: absolutely i think that's so important right now on the planet like i think so many people think they're not in quotes like creative or artistic or whatever the weight is with those words. But I think like we all, I I think that that creativity or being an artist is just doing what you love, like what makes you come alive, Mm. even if it's like baking (laughs) or I don't know what, like even if it's something small that just appeals to you that you can play around with. And I think that more people need to be connected to that part of themselves of what makes them come alive. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of what we're struggling with on the planet is, yeah, people are suffering, but part of the suffering is, is connecting back in with yourself, with nature, with anything, anything that you love, like no judgment, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is that is your thing that you're drawn to. Yeah. And so I, I think it's yeah, wonderful you're doing this podcast. And that's also, you know, why I wanted to share my book rather than just write it for myself, is to the intention to inspire people that whatever it is, um, you know, bring it bring it into the world. Share it and and allow it, you mm-hmm.
0: know? hmm Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's a really That's a really wonderful intention to have to, to, um, to, to want to, to, uh, to want to help clear out like the, the gunk and the weight and the, I don't know, like whatever it is that is preventing someone from doing a thing that they really enjoy or love or want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, you know, like giving them sort of tacit permission or, or the, the showing them that's like, it's, it's cool. It's okay. You know, it's actually pretty wonderful. You should be going to do that.
1: Yeah, I think it's the antidote to suffering (laughs) because um, as a therapist, like there's a big focus in the therapy world on, you know, understanding the problem and identifying the problem. But not a lot of talk about um, the solution Mm -hmm. or what can you do? Well, maybe you've identified what your issues are, but then what, you know? Yeah, and I think that transformation of it into art, or um, or connecting with your with your aliveness, what inspires you is the antidote, um, and it's, it's the way to balance that.
0: I ag- I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. <laughs> so since. We're coming kind of to the, the tail end of the, of the recording. Um, I would like to ask you the two questions that I traditionally ask my guests at the end, and then would ask if you would like to uh, finish up the, re- the recording with uh, reading uh, one or two of your poems. Sure. Uh, okay, so the first question. If you have the vocabulary for it, what is your internal landscape like?
1: I was waiting for this question from <laughs> <laughs> listening to your podcast. Um, yes. My, what comes to mind for me with my internal landscape is a dream that I had years ago.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. And in this dream, I was flying over, uh, like, Boston Harbor, but it was before it was civilized at all. So it was just nature. It was just like what Boston and Boston Harbor would look like if it was just basically forest. Um, and I was flying over, yeah, like this, this lush forest and then the clear ocean and all the, all the islands. Because Boston Harbor actually has a big network of islands, um, so I feel like my internal landscape is like that. Like it's it's diverse and it's rich, uh, colorful. There's a lot of um, nature sounds, hmm. birds, and um, the ocean, and yeah, that's what I connect with most. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you feel like you are part of the landscape, or do you feel like you are a visitor to that landscape? Like, I guess the reason I'm asking is because, you, like, in the dream that resonates with you, it's like you are flying over the, this this space. So, the, in that, in the dream, there is a, a sort of inherent level of um, like distance or disconnection from. Yeah, you know, or like separation from like you as an entity and the landscape itself.
1: Yeah, it's a very existential question. <laughs> I feel like I feel like uh, both is <laughs> the is the truth of how I feel like spiritually. Like I am it, and I'm witnessing it. Like I know what it's like to be it, and I'm also just in this body right now witnessing it. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you ever so with with my own, I, I have those two levels too, that sometimes I'm in the landscape experiencing it as a sort of avatar of myself, and other times I feel like I am the landscape itself. Do you there's a third sort of weird middle distance that I feel sometimes too, and I'm curious if you experience this too. Do you do you ever feel like you are watching yourself in the landscape?
1: Hmm. Yes.
0: Hmm.
1: Yes. And when I, I often, that's when I get the biggest flood of self compassion is when I just. Oh,
0: interesting.
1: In it. Yeah. It's, it's not like an ego love. It'll be just like a wave of compassion of how I'm just, I'm like everybody else, and not separate from the the pain and joy of life <laughs> you know and and how it's how it's in my story also
0: yeah wow. that's really i i've never i've never considered that that's like i've i i tend to not really it's it's difficult sometimes for me to, to get the sort of distinct separations of like, you know, I am in the landscape, I'm watching myself in the landscape, or I am the landscape. It's it sometimes kind of flows back and forth, but I never thought really thought that 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 middle distance could be utilized in that way. Of of it's a like a a viewing of of a lack of separation. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. <laughs>
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm going to have to sit with that for a while. (laughs)
1: Let me know what you come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: And I'm assuming that since you've listened to the podcast before, you should know what the last question is. Um, Do you have any questions, or I guess, do you have any question for me?
1: Yeah, I'm curious if you have a poet or poem that inspires or interests you right now? I would just love to know.
0: Um, so I have been on an Anne Carson kick recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently rereading uh, Autobiography of Red. Um, and I have, I've been working through, uh, well, I started her uh, glass essay uh, maybe like a week and a half ago and kind of, Got interrupted by Ito Kavino's Invisible Cities, um, and then by Autobiography of Red. Um, so I'm gonna hopefully when I'm done the the book, uh, Autobiography of Red, let's sort of backtrack back to uh, Glass Essay. Um, mm. But there, like with with Mary Oliver, when I read her, there is a a level of uh, like commiseration or kinship or and not like, I, this does not mean to, to, I don't mean this as a, like a bragging um, statement, but it feels like I, I could maybe get close to the way that she writes. Um, <laughs> that there's some, some level of like understanding in how she sees, or that maybe just the, at, at our core, we might see the world in a similar way and therefore can, can uh, present our vision of it or our, our perspective of it any similar way um but whenever i read ann carson it's a, it's like it'd be like watching an aerialist that has been training for years and years and years and it's like that's what they do and there's just ways that they can move their body that i would never even begin to think like oh you can do that with mm-hmm. an arm or you know you can you can do this with your your back um so reading yeah. her a, a lot of the times is a, is a sort of like just sitting in awe of like how she thinks and sees things, um, in the in the sort of like tiniest hope that some glint of that perception will open up some new room or some new like way of looking at something for me.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Um,
0: but. Uh, there's another poet um Maggie Nelson uh operates like that too for me that it's like I I, I understand what you're doing and I can kind of see the structure of, of what you're doing but I have like I have no idea how the hell you could gen- like how you thought of doing it like this or yeah like well I don't even know what the initial thought was for you to begin thinking of making a book like this or even how you begin to write something that that turned out to that um
1: yeah, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, it like blows your creative mind.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and it's also a, a nice like a sort of a um a reaffirmation that you know that there are a ton of different perspectives and a ton of different ways to write and a ton of different voices. Um, and that there is enough room for everybody because you know, everyone's writing based on their own experiences and their own ways of being and no two people are ever going to have the same existence or the same internal experiences. So that, you know, every, all of those viewpoints are, um, all of those expressions of those viewpoints in that way, in that, in that particular context, like it's, it's valid, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I would like for you to finish with a poem or two, um, of your of your choosing because I feel like there's not enough uh poetry actually <laughs> actually being read aloud on this podcast.
1: Sure, I would love to. Okay, I will read from so my book is divided into four sections, the mm-hmm. four stages of the butterfly. So the third stage is the chrysalis and I'll read a poem from that called Harmonium. Ooh. She stands above me in candlelight, heat of her palm on my shoulder blade, while my mind melts like wax. For an hour, she stands like this, some ritual of a woman's stillness wrapping another. Thoughts rise like a flock of pigeons, then disperse. She's with me while the chrysalis of my body does the work, transforms cell by cell. And then I will read from the last section, Butterfly. I will read the, the poem that is also the title of the book, Wings.
0: Ooh, nice. Yeah.
1: Wings. As a child walking home from school, I used my imagination like a paintbrush. I'm the girlfriend of a blue-eyed boy with a ratty skateboard, a second-grade teacher with earrings hanging like angels' trumpets a salsa dancer in a Mexico City club, a poet surrounded by her house plants. My life is still becoming those brush strokes, brighter tones emerging, orange, rose, daffodil. I get so impatient, want to shake these wings open, afraid they will disintegrate midair, be torn from me. I'm not meant to fly as old a belief as the egg I hatched from.
0: There you go. That was, that was lovely. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Um, and I think that'll do it for the podcast. Um, I encourage listeners to, to re-listen to those poems and sit with them and, I don't know, just sit with poetry. Just go sit with it somewhere. Um, and I will talk to you all next time.